0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to the Sound Iron Podcast. I am your host, Craig Peters. And in this interview, I got to talk with Dirk Illert about why he moved to California, his DIY approach to building his own acoustic treatment for his home studio, what it was like working on the video game score for Eden tomorrow, and in his composing setup using Cubase and VE Pro and much more. So stick around. Since the last time we were here, we were working on the Hyperion stuff.
1: Thanks for coming here, appreciated. appreciate
0: oh. it. Thanks. So, you you were telling me that you used to live in Germany. Yeah. So, how has it been since you've come back out here, and how do you like California, living out here? Uh, it's been hot. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's yeah,
1: re- no, we're currently running around 105, something like that, so... Uh, it's something I'm not that used to, but I'm enjoying it, pretty much. Because, I mean, Germany gets, uh, gets nice summers as well, but... Um, yeah, California weather. There's nothing to talk about. It's just great. So we're enjoying that. Uh, yeah, kind of rewarding being here. Uh, it's it's so convenient to meet people to just head into town every now and then and uh, set up meetings, get to know new people. Be be it uh, film people, directors, music supervisors, or other composers that I can meet mm-hmm. with and have a chat with. And yeah, it's just. Um, it's really great being here. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like this is the area to be if yeah, you're, exactly. if you're working in you know either Hollywood or film or you know, kind of everyone's out here. Yeah,
1: I, w- I wouldn't even, s- wouldn't really say that is a necessity to to be here to do the job that we're doing, but it definitely helps a lot.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And uh, since the last time I was here, you've definitely done some upgrades to the <laughs> studio, as you can see. A uh,
1: little know. bit of DIY.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, it's a lot of DIY, but it's. Good DIY. Um, so how did like have you always done this sort of thing before or?
1: Um, actually, not to the extent that I did it here. So back in Germany, I had my studio in, in the basement and uh, been used to, to working with headphones a lot and uh, didn't give so much thought into, into improving the sound of the room and things like that. Uh, when I now look back to old YouTube videos that I've been doing uh, for the streams, uh, I can hear that definitely in the audio, in the mic, how the reflections from the room mm-hmm. uh, reflect the sound of, of the room there. So it wasn't the best decision. Uh, and when I got here, uh, as you uh, remember, the last time you we were here, there was no re- room treatment at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, I wanted to record a little bit of acoustic guitar for, for a library track that I was working on. And plugged in the mic and got in front of the mic and played a little bit and just the recording plane sucked. <laughs> so it was, <laughs> it was just not usable because there were so many flutter echoes in this room and uh, the room is pretty much uh, square. Yeah. So uh, it's it's really tough to to get a decent sound in here. Not talking about using speakers or um, yeah doing any recordings in here. So um, I was thinking, well, you definitely need some some room improvement, and uh, I kind of watched some tutorials on YouTube on how to build your own stuff and build your mm-hmm. own panels. I, I had a little bit of information about how it works and what you need to do and that you kind of set it up straight across uh, where the speakers sit and that you get the speakers a little bit off the wall to avoid reflection and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was helpful to, to watch a bunch of different YouTube tutorials on, on some guys who did it themselves and, and also explained a lot of stuff, how it's done. Not Not the building itself, but just what you need to do for a room like this. Uh, yeah. Like with the corner traps and, and first reflections and exactly, all that sort of thing. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, I wouldn't say that this room now is uh, measured uh, correctly. The, the, that's uh, that's not the case. But it works decently enough for me to now record audio in here mm-hmm. and uh, have a decent listening environment when I'm working with totally. speakers. Totally.
0: Yeah. Because so, yeah, even just being in here now and talking, it's like there's not you know, nothing. It's pretty. It's pretty dry yeah. now yeah. Yeah. But well cool too is not totally killing it because it's sometimes it's good to sort of yeah. have a little bit right. of I that. don't
1: want to have it plain dead so so mm-hmm. it's still there are, you still get the aura information that you're in a room so that yeah. you hear reflections and that but it's really damped down thanks to the panels.
0: Mhm. And how did you go about building the uh, the base traps? Was it kind of the, the same process as far as all the, um, the normal panels?
1: I was thinking a while about how to actually do it. So so it's uh, these um, it's pretty much a triangle on both ends, and then just uh, eight foot uh, wooden well, what are they called? Um, so it's just the okay. frame, pretty oh, much. Oh, okay. So it's, it's not solid. And then I just uh, cut rock wool into two triangles mm-hmm. next to each other and stable kind of it up, all the way up and then just put fabric around. So nice. it's not very stable, but it's just sitting in the corner and doesn't yeah, need to do anything. Anywhere. So it doesn't need to be mm-hmm. rock solid, you know. Yeah. So it's just wooden triangle on both ends and then the long woods in between to, to give it shape and then or to hold the, the, the rock wool, mm-hmm. and that's it, so. Nice. Then it's just, just a matter of tightening up the fabric a little bit so that you get a decent front.
0: A little bit more aesthetically pleasing. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah, no, that's cool. I think, like, it's just a super cost-effective way if you're going to, yeah. you know, if you're going to do you it If you do it
1: yourself, these panels are, like, if broken down to, to what you need, it's like 15 bucks per piece, pretty much, that's plus, crazy. plus the fun. That you have. Yeah, I, I enjoy doing a little bit of DIY. And uh, so, and it's really not hard to do, to be honest. So, I, I uh, kind of post a little bit about the progress on my Instagram, mm-hmm. and what I did to how the panels are built. It's pretty much just these plain wood that you screw together. Mm-hmm. Those oh, so you actually screw all the panels yeah, together. I just screwed them together, and uh, that's it. So there's not much to it. Then rock wool in, fabric on top, stapling it. Done.
0: How is it dealing with rock wool? Because I've uh, is it pretty like uh friendly a to the I was a little bit skin, afraid or? that
1: it's itchy and, and all that stuff, but overall I got some gloves uh, at, at uh, Lowe's to to work with it, mm-hmm. and no problem at all. I haven't had a single time where it was itching or scratching mm-hmm. or whatever. It was totally convenient.
0: Nice. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, you know, not only is it aesthetically pleasing, it's actually sonically, like, it works, that, that's it has a I mean,
1: it's kind of both. I mean, you don't want yeah. to sit in something where you don't like looking at the walls. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the most important thing was to to get it sonically treated, and yeah. to, to have a decent working environment. Uh, we're in a rented flat here, so I wanted to kind of come up with solutions and do as little damage as possible mm-hmm. to, to the walls. Uh, so.
0: Yeah, I think for the most part, the only thing you really have is what the uh, the monitor on the wall, yeah. and then the the uh, the tension rods up top holding the uh, the panels above. Yes. You can't see this in this, but there's actually panels above uh, above us, which is really cool. And we
1: might do a picture that we can put into the YouTube. Yeah, video there. yeah, I'll get I'll
0: get some <laughs> shots panning around. Um, so as far as your work setup, um, could you talk a little bit about that? As far as what you use, like what's your predominant workhorse setup.
1: Um, I've been pretty much since 20 years now I've been using Cubase so I've been always been a Cubase guy from the very beginning, um, but obviously you, you look outside the window every now and then so I have Ableton on my system. for for Sometimes I like the way Ableton handles audio treatment when you uh, do uh, custom sound design stuff and things like that. It's uh, just very convenient to work in there. I tried uh, Studio One uh, Presonus and uh, mm-hmm. I have it sitting on my system but I'm not using it much anymore nowadays because kind of there there's kind of a little race between Studio One and Cubase. They're yeah, always, totally. Uh, I had,
0: before I got Cubase I actually was looking at Studio One because it had certain features that I wanted and then I just ended up kind of yeah. just making the move toward Cubase.
1: So... Uh, Studio One has some nice features, especially in terms of drag-and-drop functionality and all that stuff. So it's, it's pretty convenient. But for the way I work and uh, since I do a lot of work in MIDI, for me Cubase is still the superior DAW mm-hmm. when it comes to MIDI editing and, and working in MIDI. Um, yeah, it feels
0: like it's kind of designed yeah. for, you know, people who are doing a lot of composing.
1: Exactly, that's that's what I feel as well. And um, So yeah, Cubase is my main DAW. Uh, I don't want to start on working, uh, counting down what sample libraries I use. There is a ton. Yeah. Uh, I have a right now. I have a master-slave setup. So, pretty much for the fact that I got my uh, mobile rig, which is a pretty decent laptop, which is the same, likewise spec as my main uh, DAW. Oh, nice. And. Um, and I got that as a solution first to back up my system in case something breaks or something isn't working anymore. So I have a backup solution that I can keep on working. Nice. And second thing was to have a mobile solution when I'm on the way meeting with a client or whatever to uh, take my laptop with me and be able to fire up a session there. Mm-hmm. Um, but... S- since these occasions are not every day or something like that, that I'm underway. So most of the time I'm here in the studio. And before I have it sitting on the shelf and collecting dust, I just decided to get it into my workflow as a template because it's a huge workhorse there mm-hmm. that is not utilized. And now I spread the workflow, uh, the, the workload from, from, both, uh, uh, from my main system onto both systems so that I incorporated the slave via V-Pro. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm running V Pro on my main DAW and on my Slave, and everything in terms of virtual instruments is hosted outside of Cubase, uh, which makes it easier for me or easier for Cubase to handle like like a thousand track template or something (laughs) like that, uh, when it just needs to care about a little bit of EQing on Mm -hmm. on the return channels and media editing. That's all Cubase takes care of right now.
0: Yeah, it's nice to have it that way because, kind of like with uh, mixing plugins, like you know Universal Audio, how they have stuff where you can sort of run it off that DSP yeah. and and just you know anything you can do to sort of make where you're actually making music uh, not have to run so hard. It seems like it's definitely a a nice f- you know function to be able to do that. Yeah, I think it's really cool. And you were telling me a little bit about some of the um, there's a iPad behind me that's got a bunch of articulations and stuff, and you were sort of uh, showing me a little bit of how you have, you know, some of these different controllers for... Uh...
1: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so so I'm using uh, Touch OC on an iPad, and uh, this two iPad setup came to happen because <laughs> my wife got a new laptop and doesn't use the iPad anymore. So uh, <laughs> I just incorporated. it. No, what I'm doing is uh, my my right hand, if you don't know whether you can see that here, so there's <laughs> an iPad here. Uh, oops. No, I don't want to talk to you. Uh, <laughs> So this is pretty much my Cubase control. So whatever I'm doing in Cubase, I can uh, do visibility setups. Uh, what, in my big template, I have like 1,000 tracks, and it's pretty convenient to just show the high strings or the low strings, whatever I'm working on right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, then for media editing, I have different setups. When I'm inside the MIDI editor, like uh, change the grid from 1 to 1 and all that stuff, uh, I can change the... Uh, Controller lanes like show me expression, show me mod wheel, show me the articulation setups for the expression maps and all that stuff. Nice. Uh, this is all controlled from this part of the iPad, and the other pad is um, on my left hand side, so to say, is pretty much my key switch instruments that use key switches. I don't use key switches; I use a Cubase expression maps, uh, which is a pretty convenient way to work with different articulations mm-hmm. and. Um, Mm-hmm. So I can click the articulation on the iPad, and it changes instantly to spiccato or pizzicato or mm-hmm. whatever.
0: Nice. So, Eden Tomorrow, you were, you were posting about that, that you finished it up. Mm-hmm. Was it a few weeks ago? Yeah.
1: Uh, actually, yeah, last week I finished my part of the work in terms of uh, composing everything and assembling everything, because I don't mix it here. It gets... Uh, we. Did some uh, live recordings back in Germany in Hanover for the strings for for the game score, and uh, they are also taking care of the mix uh, for for the whole game score. And uh, so this is currently being done. Uh, we just got some rough mixes to, mm-hmm. to listen to, and I'm really impressed with what they're doing. Um, so I'm looking really looking forward to the final result there. And. Um,
0: it's a VR game, right?
1: It's Yeah, it's a Sony VR game. I think it will be out something like August. Which, uh, I will definitely post an in the Once I have uh, confirmation for that. And uh, Yeah, it was really fun. It was actually my first game score that I've been working on. Oh, nice. Um, so the game dev approached me last year. Uh, he actually saw some of my YouTube videos, tutorials, and walkthroughs, and things like that. And... Uh, yeah he got to me and said yeah we're doing this game for for sony and we are game and um i pretty much from the beginning i told him that i haven't done any games before and i am not uh not very good at uh adaptive audio and adaptive music and things like that were or, or gay music implementation and he kind of uh really calmed me down there, because uh, with this VR game, it's more of a cinematic approach than a game approach. So it's more linear than adaptive, um, which was convenient for me. Mm -hmm. It was more like working to picture and uh, working to the walkthrough that he sent me and uh, capturing the... Emotion for the uh, the necessary emotions for the scenes that we've been working on Mm -hmm. and uh, Yeah, I think it turned out great and uh, I will definitely do some more uh, Information background information on the score in the near future plan doing an interview with the game developer on how the music came to be and So we will definitely fill the social media channels with a little Mm -hmm. bit more info on this
0: Nice, so you didn't do as much actual um, like like, how they break it up into layers. It was more of just like it
1: was pretty much comparable to doing a film score.
0: Oh, nice. So did you actually get to go to the sessions where you uh, recorded the str- the
1: real That was one of the last things we did before we actually moved to LA. Uh, one of the last uh, steps to do was to do the recordings in Hanover. and Yeah, it was great. We didn't have the budget for full orchestra or big section, uh, so we kind of tricked a little bit and we, we got really good... Uh, quartet string quartet on board and we for the cues that we wanted to have with live strings and live orchestra or live sounds uh we kind of um did two takes for we we had three tires uh, we had uh, string chords string melody and string rhythms mm. so and uh we rewrote that for quartet, pretty much, uh, and everything was recorded open and consortino, so muted. And then when we lay that together, and overall, the overall sound sounds like a huge string section. Oh, nice! So, <laughs> that's cool. It's it's uh, was well, really great working like that. Mm. So,
0: yeah, and, that, and that's kind of a real cost-effective way of not having to have, you know, some, you know, 40-piece string yeah, section a, a, or exactly. something. Exactly. You
1: didn't. We we didn't have a 40-piece string section, but they did a tremendous job. I mean, obviously comes a lot down to the musicians that you utilize for the recordings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did an amazing job in, in uh, really nailing every cue. Every, nice. It was like, like a whole day session at the studio, and we got everything done. There's like 10 cues uh, for the game that we have uh, live strings in now. Um, yeah, it sounds great, so can't wait to share once it's finally done.
0: Nice. And where did you guys record again?
1: Uh, we recorded the strings at uh, Tesmer Studios in Hannover in oh. Germany. So it's a uh, it's a private owned studio. It's a huge recording room. I have some pictures from the recordings on my Instagram. Uh, it was a great experience. So it was really fun.
0: It's cool. Yeah, it's always it's always nice being able to I think get some real instruments inside of, especially it's you know, so working. much of
1: a difference having at least just one live player or something on top that you do live. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is so. Yeah, kind of. It breathes life into into a score. You can go a pretty long way with virtual instruments and and uh, samples, but this human element on top is what mm-hmm. really makes the icing on the cake.
0: Yeah. And uh, the the project that you were showing me or you gave me a CD a while back of uh, the one that you had live singers on.
1: hmm Elements.
0: Yeah, elements, yeah. How how is it working with them as far as
1: uh, since uh, back then I was still in Germany when we did these recordings it was yeah, kind of a network approach uh, oftentimes communicating through Facebook or email and uh, most of these th- th- singers that I've been working with there like Younger Bold and Silicisodium they do remote recording sessions so pretty much you just send them uh, either a MIDI file or rendered mock-up of what you want to have and uh, kind of try to detail out what you have in mind what you envision for for the vocals. Sometimes you ask them to improvise and just try give, give try their take on, on on the on the backing track that you provide them with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes you have a fixed melody and say, oh, "I really need it like that," or put all your emotion into it that you <laughs> that mm-hmm. you can. And um, so yeah, it's just a question of communicating and uh, trusting them to know what they do. And yeah. The, it worked out really really well I over the process I try work with different singers I only had one kind of disappointment where it just didn't work out but mm. this just happens like in every other job life as well sometimes you just meet people that you can't get along with or whatever yeah so uh, failure is part of the process yeah and um, so yeah but uh, overall it turned out really great and I'm really happy with uh, what these uh, instrumentalists and, and vocalists did yeah they did a the really
0: music. good job on it. it like really takes the music to like a whole nother like emotional level yeah. I think so one of the things I was really impressed with when the last time I came down was your ability to just kind of compose so quickly I think that's <laughs> I think that's really impressive and it's just it's it's really a cool thing to watch you know especially just kind of getting to be you know mm. you know fly on the wall and, and watching you do your thing and uh, um, as far as your your musical background, uh, I don't know if you want to talk briefly just about that or sort of like your musical approach. Because I'd really like to sort of get a little insight in as far as to like your thought process when you first start to, you know, work um, on a cue or, you know.
1: Well, uh, I try to make that as brief as possible. So music has been part of my life pretty much all the time. Um, but not through education per se, so I rather was uh, had an autodidactic approach. Um, with all the stuff that is happening, a uh, school band back back there, and then uh, later on I did some top 40 bands and playing gigs, and uh, I was a keyboardist. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, I saw you were doing the band thing for a little uh, bit.
1: Yeah, and then uh, actually I... St- the more serious side of music came pretty late for me, so it was like in 2008 when uh, I did a band project, a band project with with a guitarist friend of mine who actually was my employer back then as well. <laughs> and uh, so that was Ansodica, which we we aim for this uh, Nightwish with Temptation sound, mm-hmm. female fronted symphonic metal. Yeah, uh, I kind of just liked the music back then, uh, still like it today, and. Uh, wanted to do something like that on my own and uh, it was pretty successful, the whole debut album we did and that was my first uh, getting in contact with orchestral samples and orchestral arrangements. I've never done anything, I played keyboards till then, Mm -hmm. but never did anything orchestral and back then we had uh, East-West I think, the the basic orchestral package, Uh, that's what we used uh, for the album and I just had no other way than jumping into it and doing it mm-hmm. <laughs> that that was all there is to it and uh, um shortly after like with oftentimes these projects happen it kind of fell apart and oh. uh didn't develop further but i was still sitting there thinking okay i really like what i was doing there and then i started uh, i was working in web design back then uh, and also in and decided to get audio some kind of way into my my freelancing Mm -hmm. and i started out selling tracks on audio jungle or uploading tracks for first and i still Mm -hmm. remember like what was uh, to sell my first track there it was i mean it's hilarious from today's point of view they uh, back then i think tracks were sold for 11 bucks a piece but i still remember thinking about the fact what it made with me uh, knowing that someone out there in the world was willing to pay $11 for a track of yours to use in whatever project. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was how it started out. And uh, back then also Facebook got uh, more famous in Germany. So I think it was 2007, uh, 2008, some somewhere around that time, uh, that it got popular over in Germany. And um, I kind of decided for myself to have this as to not use it to procrastinate <laughs> but to use it as a networking tool yeah, so to totally. get in contact uh, so i really dedicated like one or two hours of my daily time that i've been working and doing music and all that stuff to really concentrate on networking and getting to know people mm-hmm. just meeting new people meeting friends yeah just kind of not, not necessarily meeting employers or asking for work or whatever but just yeah, hang around with people yeah. uh, with like-minded people and talk exactly. about things and it's, if you use it like that it happens organically mm-hmm. to, to evolve into something more that you get to know people that you talk about work related things and suddenly someone can recommend you to a library that has been really It happened for me so so back then i met russell bell from from london and he recommended me to to my first library in the u.s that i've been working with and uh i have placement with them ever since like america's next model and all that stuff and this only happens when you when you get to know people and we are in the lucky situation today that you not necessarily need to be on the spot so you can meet so many people online and get Mm -hmm. in touch but still uh it's it's just yeah the way in Germany, we say "wir sind den Wald hineinruft, kommt wieder raus," which pretty much translates to <laughs> "as you shout into the forest, it comes out of it." Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you are genuinely interested in the other person and not kind of demanding or want something, but just get in touch, yeah. hang out, be a good hang, uh, then everything comes naturally. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a question of time and constantly building on relationships
0: yeah it's like you know it's like when you when you just kind of meet people going out you're not thinking like oh i'm gonna be this friend because oh i heard he's got a lot of money so maybe he'll let me borrow money you're just like when you just when you're just naturally friends with people outside of the business it's like if people approached it like that like you're just meeting people and just having fun or you know like you said you know, like if you just go to Guitar Center and bump into someone who happens to play guitar just as good as you, you just like, hey, you know, show me that lick that you're doing or something. And you just kind of have fun with it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so, some people can can use it in a way that's a little little distasteful, I mm-hmm. think. But I think, you know, like you are saying, the way you did it, just being cool with people and, you know. Like, as musicians, it's always fun for us to just kind of just talk to people. You yeah. know, and just, <laughs> that's you the know. hardest part of the whole it's funny. <laughs> it's funny because, like, we we sit in a room by ourselves just kind of... Doing it, and then no matter what, when you get around, you know other people who do it too. Mm. It just somehow it just becomes a topic of conversation. Conversation because you would think the last thing you'd want to talk about is you know, you know, setting up key switches and you know what DAW you it use. But can, a lot of times, you know. Uh,
1: yesterday I'm, I met with uh, Mark Petrie. So my wife, when she's with us, she's not a musician, and uh, it can get pretty nerdy pretty soon when when you are really deep into talking about key switches and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff so but yeah it's fun mm-hmm. on the other side so
0: yeah i think i think for uh, most girlfriends the last thing they want to hear about is nerdy stuff like that but <laughs> around other musicians they'll just they'll probably just tune out while you're just you know having fun talking with somebody about yeah. it now that you've sort of done the you know the game thing and and doing stuff for film How do you, how do you like the two of of each one? Like, is there one that you prefer or Um, or being that I know that the one that you just worked on was more of a, a film type.
1: Uh, yeah, that, that that's why it's hard to answer like that, because you, I can't really compare the game that I've been working on with w- what a usual game composer is doing, because it's a totally different workflow. I haven't, yeah. still haven't uh, been into adaptive music. I want to actually dive into that and mm-hmm. uh, look deeper into that, uh, and want to just expand my knowledge in, in this field. Um, but for now, the game that I've been doing, the VR game, is more of a film score than anything else mm-hmm. related to game music, what do you consider game music or yeah. adaptive music and um so right now for me uh it's a lot of production music that i'm doing and then the game or slash film side of things for me film and also this game is more like the cream of the crop it's like the mm, how to say that not not the yeah the cream of the crop pretty much sums it up yeah uh, it's I really enjoy working in the field of product music and trailer music and this gives me a lot of freedom because I don't need to meet not necessarily need to meet deadlines or uh, need to please clients in that uh, like, like it's been done with film for example mm-hmm. where you need to please the music soup and the director and the producer and, yeah uh, hopefully that works out as well but um Working in production music is way more easy and relaxed you know? mm. and you don't have these kind of tight deadlines. Yeah, um, but I enjoy, and I really enjoy both fields. So mm. kind of for me right now is like production music allows me to uh, look into film projects, game projects, whatever I can do besides uh, the production music schedule. So um, I love both as, as long as I can be here doing music.
0: Yeah, it's kind of it's, it's kind every of... every everything has its own challenges, and it's just kind of like that's part of the part of the job is you know always figuring out yeah. you know each challenge as it comes around. Well, as as far as creativity wise, is working on that mm-hmm. project. Um, do you feel like you know not having those deadlines sort of helped you with? Um, you know, like, did it like make you a little bit more creative, not having that stress? Or
1: you mean for the production music side of yeah. things? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, partly creativity is a little bit reduced because you work in certain expected soundscapes. So when you're working on a tension cue, uh, usually uh, it's not. Uh, you don't write the next John Williams piece, you know. So it's it's very uh, there. I won't say set rules, but there are certain things that you do to achieve a certain mood. Yeah. So when you say, "Okay, I want some kind of scary, horrorish tune," then you go with some cluster sounds and things like that. When you want an action pace sequence, you pretty much always use the spiccato strings to mm-hmm. give it the pace and use the big percussion booms on on the on the beats and things like that. So it's most of the time it's pretty generic so in the field of production music and when you think of it where is production music used it's under dialogue in reality tv and all that stuff so it gives the scene a certain pace but it's not to stand out really that much because you have mostly most of the time you have people talking on top of that yeah uh so uh uh but i still enjoy it really much to to meander in these different genres so like working on a tension track high intensity and in the next moment i go to a weeping sad melancholic Mm -hmm. human drama track because i just feel like it for a moment or uh, Mm -hmm. have an idea and that's the cool thing about uh, the way i've set up my template i wanted something to a working environment that allows me to do whatever kind of style i'm feel inclined to do Mm -hmm. at that particular moment and not change anything or load anything else up or whatever but just change the midi channel that i'm working on and use a soft piano or use a felt piano or use a pad sound from whatever synth i want to use it's all set pre-set up pretty much and Mm -hmm. i can do a heavy metal track followed by a jazz Latin tune followed by an orchestral track. Mm-hmm. So and it's all set up in the same template. So, and that's a pretty convenient way for me of working and, and switching between ideas. And for me, this drives the creativity again, uh, being being able to uh, just switch genres and, and things like that, uh, which is cool for the production music side of things. For uh, One thing that we did for the game was... Uh, we wanted to have a kind of ethereal sound, space-like, very open and I tried a bunch of pads in Omnisphere and wasn't too happy with the results because everything was... I didn't want to program something on my own so I took a wine glass actually and did these uh, with a drop of water, these sweeping tones uh, and sampled that and uh, made a pad out of it which sounds absolutely great in the context of the game score and it's just cool. these simple things that sets it apart from using stock sounds or whatever it's just mm-hmm. a little bit create more creative uh, yeah
0: way. do you do you do that often where you sort of you uh, know, uh, sample your uh, ukulele <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: um, it's really is dependent on the project when the project demands some some more creativity some some coming up with your own sound i think this is what it's about to to make it stand out a little bit so Mm -hmm. maybe somebody hears and says damn how is that done or uh, oftentimes in production music it doesn't happen like that Uh, production music is more about uh, getting the job done fast i mean these are tools that are made for that specific purpose Uh, obviously i try to change them up a little bit still and make them a little bit more unique so that you don't end up sounding like you're next composer and uh, the next corner who's using the same presets. Uh, I totally have nothing against presets because I still think that even using a preset is a creative decision because there's a reason why I use a specific sound. Mm -hmm. I can understand the people who say, well, presets are something from hell, design your own sounds and all that
0: stuff. Yeah, like you're being lazy about it. Yeah,
1: exactly. I'm totally not with that. uh, When when I find a sound in a synth or whatever and it fits the purpose that I have for the cue that I have in my mind, why there need to alter it if it works, if it works, it works. And then I can go on and finish the cue and do the next one. obviously you can lose hours and hours in in tweaking a little sound oh yeah and then
0: end up going back to just using the preset again you're just like that
1: on elements way more than i did on on, on, uh, i mean i had a lot of freedom for elements from my publisher so i kind of uh, approach and say I "Do you want to do an album but i don't want any direction I want to do whatever i want yes yeah. so, well that's always fun and uh and uh, this is where i put way more time into these tiny little details that some people may not even notice that they're there and so, yeah but on the other hand if you take them away it kind of leaves a gap there so it's uh, it's a balance sometimes you need to do these fiddly projects where you can really dive deep into mm-hmm. Into either sound design or patch tweaking or how you orchestrate and arrange things, Um, and sometimes you just want this cue in done in half an hour and send it off to your publisher because your TV station is asking for for a tension cue or whatever. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I like the diversity of both Mm -hmm. uh, on both ends.
0: Being that you kind of, kind of like me, I kind of came from more of the metal background, too. <laughs> um, do you ever just get bored and just say, I want to write some, you know, write a, a little metal track or something or,
1: um, or? I think the cool thing about working in the production music field is that you not easily get bored, because once you are bored with a certain style that you're working on, uh, you can just change into something completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, so I haven't had that yet, that I felt bored with. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, sometimes I've, I know that I've been doing a 12-track tension album, for example, for a publisher, and on track number nine, you start, slowly start to realize, okay, it's pretty much always the same. were. I mean, they're all tracks different, and you try to put your best into it, but in the end, it's all tension tracks, and it's all running in the background, and it can get daunting then
0: yeah it's like working on something where they're like all right we need another battle queue yeah, right, we need yeah. another <laughs> battle queue like how many more battle cues like can i do with how you many know, battle
1: cues the... can you write exactly yeah but um yeah so uh then for the for the most part when i happen to come across that threshold that you get bored or uh lazy with things I try to either just take the dog for work walk and just do something completely different, mm-hmm. or uh, just switch projects and just work on something else. Yeah. So usually this frees up enough creativity to go. But, but to be honest, I try to when I start a queue, I try to finish it. I hate nothing more than needing to go back to a queue that I've been working on the next day. So mm-hmm. usually I try to have that queue done, and uh, go on the next day with with something else. Yeah. So. Recently I had to open some projects from like 2015, which uh, I needed to because over time you change the path of sample libraries and whatever and you spend like half an hour tweaking to actually open up the project and yeah. uh, that it works. So uh, it's really something that I don't like opening old queues
0: uh, or just seeing the old way that you go yeah, about or things. or the old
1: way that you did. It. Actually, you want to tweak things that you yeah. did differently. You're like, like why, that why did I put
0: that compressor ex- ex- before ex- that like you EQ? I just
1: learned more over time, and actually, when I open an old cue, I wanted to fix these things with what I know now. Yeah. So uh, better, better let it be.
0: Yeah, that's how it was for me when when I first started. And then I would, you know, I don't use as many plugins now. I try to keep it as you know as simple as like maybe like an EQ compressor, maybe a little bit of like saturation or something. Mm-hmm. But before I would go back to these old tracks and you know or sessions that I had in Logic, the and I was just like, why do I have chain. eight plugins yeah, like the like, ten
1: plugin chain? Yeah, yeah, still like, sounds like crap. <laughs> yeah,
0: like three different EQs yeah. that are you know you could probably take all that stuff away yeah, yeah. and it probably sounds better than you know when you just go on this. But I think it's sort of that journey of when you're getting into doing it, you're just you have to sort of mess up like you're it saying the, the failure the thing. Like you have to of failed it so you know okay that's too far maybe i shouldn't do five eq plugins yeah. you know that sort of thing
1: unless you got a really good education where you learned that stuff from
0: mm-hmm.
1: point zero uh you just find your way into it and it just takes time like mm-hmm. with every profession or with every hobby with whatever you're doing it's like the ten thousand hour rule so yeah. you just need to spend time on it to evolve and to to keep growing mm-hmm. and yeah, like anything else, it just takes time, and uh, but on the other hand, it's rewarding in the end when you have gone through that process.
0: Yeah, because at least you can, you know, what's cool is you know going back into old sessions. It's it's sort of like you can almost view your progress. Like oh, in 2015, I I yeah. did this, and you know, and then you listen to your tracks now, mm-hmm. and like the mixes are just you know so much bigger, and you know. N- Not to say louder, a lot of people, you know, get the whole loudness wars thing, but Mm. just being able to, like, there's times where I would listen to, like, an old mix, and I'm just, like, at the time, I was like, man, this sounds awesome, you know, it's like, I I can't do any better, and then I listen, I compare it to, like, something two years later, I'm just like, oh, my God, it's, like, you know, bigger, fuller, it's just, you know... So that's always cool, just you know, to have that sort of you know going through the back catalog of. So. I think
1: I think this is also some something to keep in mind uh, when when uh, working on cues, to find the moment where you say this cue is done. Yeah. Because uh, usually, and this relates to what you say uh, to to finding old cues from from two or three or four years ago, uh, back then. You had the decision made. This queue is now done to the best of my ability and my knowledge at that point in time. This may vastly differ from what I see today as a queue done or finished. You mm-hmm. know. So, but um, still, I know that in three, four years' time from now on, I will see my today's queues as mediocre or...
0: Uh, like, I can do better than that.
1: I can do better than that, exactly. Yeah. But that's that's the price of growing, you know, so yeah. and uh, learning. Um, so you really need to, to be aware of that. You not get into endless tweaking and final, final master version 3.1 yeah. after initial revision, etc. Yeah. So you just, at one point you need to say, this is done. This is the best I can do right now. Obviously mm-hmm. in two years, I might be able to do better, but for now, this is it.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I, yeah, I think that's almost a skill you have to develop as well. Like just being able to uh, develop that awareness of when something's done, because yeah. I think you know, there are some people who they could be really good, but they have that crutch or that, you know, that thing that sort of prevents them from maybe going to the next level of just being able to acknowledge that mm. or like you get people that work on a song for two years and it's like, oh, well, when's the album done? Oh, I'm, st- well, I'm still working on song one. It's yeah. like, well, yeah, well.
1: <laughs> that's that's the thing. And the, yeah, as you have said, there's really something that you need to develop. Uh, this is a skill set to to be able to to kind of self reflect from outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and see is it worth putting more energy into it or just consider it done as it is now. Yeah. Um, it takes time to develop this, and uh, I know when I started out making music, uh, how long I was tweaking uh, the sound of the snare or whatever to make it sound. And it's in the end, it still didn't sound the way I heard it in my head. Yeah. And um, over, yeah, it just develops over time and. Uh, you need to have patience. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, a, it's a marathon, not a sprint.
0: Exactly. That's, that's a perfect way to put it. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I want to thank you for, you know, you know taking the time to let me come by and hang, awesome. out, hang out in your rad Whenever studio. Around, around.
1: just drop by.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Now, uh, is there uh, any other things that you're working on as of now that, uh, that you'd want to talk about before we uh, take off?
1: Um, well, actually... Right now it's a lot of production music that I'm working on, so there are no specific uh, film projects or game projects lined up right now. Um, So I'm focusing on doing a little bit more library work, doing uh, some trailer productions right now for for new releases. and unfortunately, there is some more stuff, that I can't talk about uh, right now. <laughs> so yeah,
0: maybe we'll get to... NDA
1: is sitting at the end of my head, so I need yeah. to keep my mouth shut on that. There is uh, some interesting
0: stuff coming in the future. Oh, yeah, it's totally understandable. But, you know, like I said, thanks again and really appreciate it. You're welcome. So if you like this interview with Dirk and you want to watch the full video interview, make sure to head over to youtube.com slash soundironaudio, and you can watch the full video and check out what we we're talking about. And if you like these podcasts, make sure to subscribe and leave us a review and let us know what you think. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon.